You know, I've been really struck actually uh, recently just of the Lord's Prayer, uh, you know, Matthew 6. And I've just been, just been praying it so fervently. Our Father, you know, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And I was like, what do I mean when I pray that? What do we really mean when we say our kingdom, your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven? Have you ever thought about that? If we really, I think if we truly knew what we meant when we said it, it would change our lives. Because what we're really doing is saying, Lord, would you presence yourself here with us? As in heaven? What's heaven like? There's no sickness in heaven. There's no brokenness in heaven. Heaven is saturated with his presence, and that is the prayer of the season. And I'm just, I just encourage us all to, to pray that. Lord, would your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven? Because really, that's what we're all about here. We're about his presence. And we had a taste of that earlier, didn't we, in worship? That sense of his presence, his rule and his reign in this place. And that is our pursuit, isn't it? Our pursuit is for him. We're just so hungry for him, for more of him. We're not going to change course. Not going to change the subject. It's about him and his presence. And we've been looking at positioning ourselves for him, haven't we? Just as the surfer can miss the wave, so we can miss it. If we don't position ourselves, and we've been looking at positions of heart, so we looked at humility of heart, <clears throat> and we come to him in humility. Then we looked at hunger for him, because as he pours his grace into us, as we position ourselves in humility, we get hungry for him. And as the good shepherd, he leads us and feeds us. And then he leads us in paths of righteousness. And what happens? We need to walk those with eyes of faith. We looked at that faith-filled vision, didn't we? And then we looked at, okay, what do we do in the waiting? What do we do as we walk in it? We looked at having expectant hearts and being prayerful, prayerful expectancy. And just as uh, Trevor mentioned, this Thursday we've got breakthrough, our monthly prayer meeting. And we're going to be praying about the youth in this place. God is raising our expectancy about what he's doing in this place with youth. We've yet to have a youth pass. We've been looking for one for a long time. And we want to just pray for the youth, pray for the team. Pray for the new person to come. So if you are around Thursday night, come and let us pray in prayerful expectancy. For that is the season that we are in. And so where does that bring us to this morning? What is the position that we're looking at today? It is diligent hands. Diligent hands. And we're going to look at a wonderful story of a guy who had that very same pursuit of seeking God's presence. A young guy called King Josiah. And we're going to look at the story and what we can learn about that. And he was a really a true revivalist. And uh, let me just kind of give you a bit of context. Um, king uh, Josiah was king of Judah. And just backtracking a little bit, you know, the Israelites uh, are in the wilderness and they finally take the land, etc., etc. They have a period of judges. They have um, Samuel, who then anoints King Saul because they say, we don't want any, we, we want a king like every other nation. And so Saul becomes king. And then what happens? David is anointed, he becomes king. And then David's son Solomon becomes king. And they have never experienced such a, a, a period of prosperity and growth and peace. But all of a sudden, King Solomon's son comes into place and civil war essentially breaks out. And the kingdom is divided into two. You have the northern kingdom which is where the ten tribes are, and that's the kingdom of Israel, it's called. And then the southern kingdom, where the two tribes are, called the kingdom of Judah, which is where uh, Jerusalem was. And so there was a splitting off, and they had a cycle of good kings, bad kings, good kings, bad kings, and eventually they were both exiled, and that was it for the nation of Israel in that way. 
And amongst this cycle of good kings, bad kings, good kings, bad kings, was a great king called King Josiah of Judah, nearing the end of that cycle. And he was a king like no other who sought God and responded to what God had said with diligent hands. Because here's the thing, here's the truth of it. If we really are pressing in to seek God, if we truly are hungry, then it will require a response from us. His gospel is not a passive gospel, it is an active gospel. There comes a point where we need to respond with diligent hands, and that's what we see here with King Josiah. Now, you can, um, I would like to turn to 2 Chronicles, <clears throat> chapter 34 to 35. We're not going to read that right now. What I'm going to do is I'm going to walk through the story with us, and the reason I'm asking you to thumb there to 2 Chronicles or on your phone is because we're going to reference certain verses as we go along. And as I was praying and seeking God, I kind of felt led to um, split it into three chapter, four chapters, into four phases of the story and what we can learn about how we respond to God as we seek him. And so um, here we are at phase one. And I've called this phase, the pursuit begins. The pursuit begins. <clears throat> you see, Josiah is appointed king at the young age of eight. What a young age to become king. But in the midst of a backsliding nation, I've mentioned the good kings and the bad kings. But his grandfather, King Manasseh, was the worst of kings, so wicked. He brought in every type of abomination you could imagine. As did Josiah's father, who followed in his father's and Manasseh's footsteps. And in fact, it says in the scriptures, they were so wicked, they were more wicked than the nations they had driven out. They were doing crazy wicked stuff, if that's such a phrase. Crazy wicked. It's a good phrase, copyright mark. <laughs> Crazy bad stuff. <clears throat> and you can read about that. And so Josiah becomes king amidst this evil. And what happened to Israel, you see, is that they had started worshipping other gods. Gods both outside the temple, but even within the temple of God, they had other priests for other gods right there in their midst you know, Israel was supposed to be set apart for God, a holy nation. That's what we looked at. This is about holiness, being set apart from the world unto God. But Israel were no longer a holy nation. Why? Because they had allowed culture and other nations to permeate within what they were doing. There was a mingling, no longer pure. They allowed culture to dictate what they did. And so Josiah takes the throne, and what do we find? Eight years into Josiah's reign, when he was 16, the pursuit begins. We read on 34, chapter 34, verse 3, he says this. He started seeking the God of his father David. He started seeking God. And that is where it all starts. <laughs> That's where the journey begins, and some of you have been on this journey, and you started with that, and maybe it's time to restart and reset that. And how did Josiah seek God in a position of humility, week one? He started seeking God. This was a king, he could do what he wanted. But he recognized the importance of seeking God. And what was the result of him seeking God and hungering after him? We read that four years later, so there was four years of seeking. No doubt, there was a season of prayerful expectancy. God had laid out that path. Four years later, it doesn't always come instant, we read that when he turned 20, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places. In other words, the places of other gods. And you know, I find it fascinating 
If you look at 2 Chronicles 34, I might just read a couple of verses, 4 and 7, it says this. This is what he did. Under his direction, the altars of the baths, that's other gods, were torn down. He cut to pieces the incense altars that were above them and smashed the Asherah poles and the idols. Then he broke to pieces and scattered over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He burned the bones of the priests on their altars, and so he purged Judah and Jerusalem. In the towns of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, as far as Naphtali, and in the ruins around them. This is interesting because this actually goes into the borders of the northern kingdom. So he actually went further out into Israel and carried on. And then he went back to Jerusalem. What do we see here? Diligent hands. Diligent hands. What does diligence mean? With persistence and effort and focus. You see, if we truly seek God, he will, re- he will reveal areas in our lives that we need to purge. It's going to happen. If you seek God, you don't need to go fishing for it. And making up stuff. But if you truly seek him in humility, he will reveal areas in your life that you need to stop. You know, we had our Family Connect group uh, yesterday. And uh, John Day brought the guys a word, which was great. And he looked at um, Ephesians 4. And actually, Ephesians 4, he didn't know what I was preaching on. It's entitled Instructions for Christian Living. And there are phrases like lay aside this, that, and the other. Put away this, that, and the other. Get rid of this, that, and the other. Put on the new self. We, you know, holiness flows out of our relationship with the Lord. We looked at that. But as it flows, we have to walk in it. You see, the thing is, we don't do it on our own strength, but as we make a choice to be diligent and go and do it, his spirit enables us to do that which we think is going to be really difficult. That's how it works. And I find this interesting because oftentimes phase one is how we start the journey with the Lord. We start with zeal and you feel convicted. You think, I've got to stop that. And we stop that and we have victories. But it's almost if we stop there. We look around us and think, I've got to stop this and stop this. And we have a measure of, of progress, a measure of walking in holiness. And all of a sudden it stops. And Josiah could have stopped there. He did amazing stuff. But he kept on seeking He wanted more of God. Why? Because we looked at it as the more we feast on him, the more we get hungry for him. And Josiah didn't ignore those hunger pains. And we looked at that, didn't we, in uh, week three or week four, that if we ignore those hunger pains, eventually they fade. It's not that we don't need it. It's just that we don't feel it anymore. But Josiah responded. And that brings us to phase two. Phase two, God is found in a new way. Here's just a truth I want to just... Just um, pause on. Josiah didn't stop on the previous victory. He didn't camp there. What do I mean by that? Past victories can be a hindrance to future glory. Past victories can be a hindrance to future glory. I was reminded of the story in Matthew 17, 1 and 8. Jesus went up to the mountain with Peter, James, and John. And all of a sudden, he was transfigured on the mountaintop. And there appeared Moses and Elijah. And what did Peter respond? Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up the three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And how did Jesus respond? He said, get up. And they descended. They descended the mountain together. If they had stayed there and camped in that victory, they would not have had future glory. And you see, the danger is when we have previous victories, we mentally and spiritually camp there. Well, we think that we're great because we had a victory in the past and we stay there. 
I've seen it in my life. I'm fine because look what happened then and there, and I'm great. But actually, what we've got to remember is that those victories are a platform and a breakthrough for future victories. It's a progression. And Josiah could have just said, well, I've done a great thing. I'm going to stop there. But he pursued God. And let me just say, our best days are not behind us. They're in front of us. Why do you think we pray more, Lord? And so in response to Josiah's hunger, what does God do? 2 Chronicles 34, 8, it says this. Six years later, when he was 26, God laid out the next path for Josiah, and it was time to fix the temple. And this time, it will require even more faith-filled vision to walk on this path. And so upon Josiah's instruction, what we read is the craftsmen and the builders were given money and said, go fix the temple. Because the temple was in disarray. There was holes in the ceiling and the roof. Things were leaking. The floor needed changing. And so upon Josiah's instruction, they went about doing that. And I find it fascinating because what we read is the money was there. You see, the people still gave to the temple. They still went. But even though their hearts were not there. More religion than relationship. More guilt than freedom. More habit than heart. They still went to that place. You see, on the outside, they were doing it. But in the inside, it was falling apart. And, you know, it is amazing, is it not, that as we think about the external, we discover that the issue isn't always outside, but it's inside. The reason the temple was falling apart was because they allowed the worship of God to fall apart. The reason the temple was in disrepair was because their love of God was in disrepair. And as they focused on the outside, it's an amazing story, read it in verses 14 to 15. Buried deep inside, do you know what they discovered? The book of the law. It was hidden. This is the book, it's likely of Deuteronomy, where God lays out his law and his blessings. And they had it had been lost, and they haven't even realized it had been lost. And all of a sudden, the priest, when they're fixing the outside, deep inside finds the book of the law. Oh, look what we found. They were focused on the outside, but God was focused in the inside. And you know, the Holy Spirit will lead us in all truth, John 16, 13. I find it fascinating. They, they recognized it. These would have been generations later, and yet they recognized it. There was something in them that said, oh, that's God's truth right there. God will reveal it as you push forward into phase two. Now, they had a choice at this point. Now, the priest could have gone, whoa, let's not go there. Life is pretty good right now. Do not give it to King Josiah, because you know what he's like. <laughs> He'll ask us to do something. And you know, I've got to say, I've had that in my life. God's revealed a truth. I'm like, no, I'm not going to go there. Too deep. I'll put it aside, Lord. Because phase one went great. I got rid of all that bad stuff, but this is even deeper, Lord. And it's where before Josiah went on the outside of the temple, if you like the outside of our lives, all of a sudden God revealed in some of, some, something in our hearts, something that we're really holding tight, right in our temple, because we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And what happened? They gave it to Josiah. <gasps> wow, what happened? Phase three, going deeper still. We read in verse 19, that Josiah, when it was read, tore his clothes. Why did he tear his clothes? An act of repentance. An act of turning away from wrong ways and turning towards God. What do we see? Movement there. Movement. He realized that what 
he thought was enough wasn't. He was required to go deeper. That God had so much more for them. That God was calling them to be set apart. And I think that as he heard the book of the Lord, Deuteronomy, of all the promises that God would bless them with if they were to follow him, all of a sudden he felt the love of the Father. And he thought, you know what, God's got so much more for me. And we looked at that, didn't we, in Psalm 23. It's almost like God pulls up a mirror in front of us and we see our malnutrition state. But it's the promise of something even better that gets us up. And I think Josiah realized that when he heard the promises of God. And he saw how much the Father had loved them and how much more they had. And so what did he do now? This is interesting. 21, he decided to inquire of God. He asked the priest, there was a prophetess actually, to go and say, what is God saying in this moment? Here's the thing I want us just to to pause on. He wasn't saying, Lord, can you give me a fresh word to tell me that I don't need to do this? Oh, I've heard so many stories. I've done it in my life. Lord, I know your word says this, but of course my circumstances have changed, so if you can give me a fresh word to say it's fine, that would be great. We do think that sometimes, and, and what happens is we, we hear what we think is a fresh word, which contradicts his word, and we think, well, it's fine. It's not. God never contradicts his word. He never contradicts his word. And so in this moment, God is saying, and we read it in verse 27, because your heart was responsive, Josiah, and you humbled yourself before God, humility, when you heard what was spoke against this people and its people, and because you humbled yourself before me and tore your rose and wept in my presence, what did he say to the Lord? I have heard you. I have heard you. He always responds to our humility. But the opposite is true. There is a very important psalm, Psalm 66, verse 18, that says, if I regard sin in my heart, in other words, if I choose to disobey God and I love the sin that I do, the Lord would not hear me. And I've got to tell you as your pastor, as I care for you as the sheep, many of you are not getting your prayers answered because you have iniquity in your heart that you're not willing to let go of. And God is gracious and he'll wait and he'll reveal it to you. But you've got to make a decision to follow that which God is calling you to do. And that's what Josiah did. He came in humility and said, okay, Lord, it seems hard, but I'll do whatever you want me to do. And God says, I have heard you. And God always responds to a humble heart. And so what happens next? In the story, this amazing story, phase four, revival breaks. Amen. What happens? We see his presence comes, true worship flows, and freedom is celebrated. This is what happens right now. This is the promise of going deeper with him. You want more of God than we need to press in more. It's a sovereign act of the Lord that he pours his spirit out, but he's waiting for a people to be set apart for him. And we read in the story in in, uh, chapter 34, verse 30, all the way through to chapter 35, verse 19. You can read it when you get home. We read what happens. Two things that Josiah does. Number one, he recommits to God. He calls the whole of the nation together and he reads the book of the law in the presence of all of Judah. He declared God's truth. Every word of it. He didn't care if he offended anybody. He didn't care about how he would look. He just said, this is God's truth because he has way more for us. And what else did he do? He recommitted himself 
and the nation to God and said, essentially, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's Joshua 24, verse 15. And what did he do? He called all the people to pledge themselves to this grand pursuit. Number two, what happened? The people then pursued holiness with diligent hands. What did they do? They removed all the abominations from all the country, those things that they had missed on the first round. And they went right into the temple of God and they pulled down all the, all the gods of other gods. And you know what they also did? They served each other diligently. They gave their time, energy and money freely in the worship of the Lord. And this is an amazing place to serve the Lord your God by serving others. What an opportunity we have to serve each other. And I want to encourage you, if you're not serving now, you're going to see so much growth in that, in yourself and your walk with the Lord as you make a commitment to serve others. There's so many teams you can be part of to express the love of the Father, the love of Jesus, by being his hands and feet. And if you're not part of a team, just go find a team and serve. It's amazing. You will grow in that. And what happened then, as Josiah recommits to God and they pursue holiness, two things are amazing. Revival breaks. God's presence was reestablished. The Ark of the Lord, you know the Ark of the Covenant where the law was, had been put aside. It wasn't in the Holy of Holies anymore. It's been displaced by the gods and the first thing they did was they put the Ark back in its rightful place. The presence of God came back in its rightful place. Wow, I find that amazing. True worship to the living God was restored once they had put God in the center. I'd like to invite the band up. Romans 12:1, brothers and sisters, I urge you, in light of what Jesus has done for you, to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. That is your act of spiritual worship. And what happened, the fourth thing, this is amazing. Freedom was experienced in a deeper way. We read on chapter 35, verse 18, that Passover was celebrated. It says, like no other time before or after. Now, what was the Passover festival? Passover festival. It celebrated the freedom that the children of God experienced when they came out of Egypt. Because as you know the story, God came in power in Egypt, all the firstborns, but God said to Moses, tell all the people, get a lamb and sacrifice and put the blood on the doorposts. And when I come over, I will pass over those that have the blood of the sacrificial lamb. What was that? A foreshadow of the sacrifice of Jesus, the perfect lamb of God. When final judgment comes, he will pass over us because he sees us as holy. And so when revival came to Judah in this time, they celebrated that freedom like they had never done before. And that is the promise for us that as we seek God, as we are diligent, as we lay aside all that stuff that would hinder us from running into his presence, as he pours out his presence in this place, Jesus is celebrated in a way like no other. Because it's about making Christ known. And that is a promise for us, guys. A promise of freedom from sickness. A promise of freedom from the difficulties. The promise of freedom. Now, I'm not going to say our lives are going to be rosy but there are victories waiting as we experience his spirit. I'd like to invite you to stand. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Let us just pray.
Let's just close our eyes. Holy Spirit, would you just come and open our eyes now to those gods in our lives that we have been worshipping that we need to tear down. That sin in our world that we have yet to say sorry for and to run away from. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, would we be a people that commit to you, to follow you, Lord, because you have way more for us. You are seeking a people that you can abide with in power. We want to be those, that people, Lord. Help us turn away from those false things and run to your open arms, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit.